Let's uh, open our copy of God's Word to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 12. And uh, our text is uh, verses, in, can be found in verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read you uh, a few other verses before we get to that, though. So let's uh, go to our Lord in a time of prayer. And I do need your prayers this evening. I am uh, utterly dependent upon the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit and His leadership tonight. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, in the name that's above every name, Your holy name, it's in your righteousness that I come before our Father seeking the anointing, the power of your Spirit this evening. I need your Holy Spirit to illuminate me, to open my mind and to order my thoughts and to make it possible for me to speak truth and even in speaking even in speaking I so desperately need that power that life giving power that comes only through your spirit and I pray not only for my illumination and enabling, but I pray for illumination of your people, that what they would be able to hear, to receive your word, to be able to understand and to be taught from your word. Lord, we, everyone, we must confess that we need you to search us, to shine that searchlight of your truth down into us and expose every unclean way in us. I pray that you'd speak to us now through your precious word in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been uh, preaching through the gospel of Mark now for quite some time, and we uh, uh, preached last week out of chapter number 11, and we talked about uh, uh, this, uh, this challenge that Jesus received from the spiritual leaders. Many commentators believe that this was either uh, the Sanhedrin that had confronted Jesus, or at least a representative group uh, uh, of the Sanhedrin, but these were religious officials who had come to Jesus and had uh, uh, said to him, where did you get the authority to do the things that you're doing? And now you know that Jesus has done some things that really triggered them, didn't he? He has said some things that have triggered them, and he has really done some things that triggered them. He came into the temple, 
and he walked in like it was his house. He walked in as if he was in charge. And he saw the money changers and those that bought and sold and those that uh, uh, did, uh, uh, did some evil things like uh, cheating people and, and uh, robbing poor people. He saw these things and he responded in violence. I mean, he began to overthrow these tables and drive out the money changers and drive out those that bought and sold and, and drive out the livestock and the things that was in there and stopped people from carrying burdens through the temple uh, uh, to other parts of the city. And you see, the the big problem that the Pharisees had with that and the big problem that the religious leaders had with that was that he didn't get any approval from them. They thought that they're the ones that had the approval or the authority, excuse me, the authority to do things like that. And so uh, Jesus didn't... Uh, didn't get authority from them. He didn't ask their permission because he was operating on a higher authority. And so these people have come to him now and, uh, and I can't help but believe since this is probably Wednesday on the day or on the week of his crucifixion. This is the week of Passover in Jerusalem. There are crowds of people around and so there's lots of things going on and I want us now as we've gotten to this point, I want us to kind of get into the mindset of the people that Jesus is talking to. Because he knows what they're up to. He knows their hearts. He knows that even though they are upset about authority and some of the actions that he has uh, done, although they're upset about things like that, what they really want is to do away with him. They want him gone. They want him out of their hair, so to speak. And so, there's got to be a, a, a mindset. There's got to be a, a, a bad spirit. There's got to be a bad heart. Well, isn't that what Jesus said back in chapter number 7? Isn't that where he started exposing the real root of the problem, the real heart of the problem, when he said it's not those things that go in to the body that defile a man, it's what comes out. Because what comes out comes from the heart, murders and and uh, immoralities and sins of all kinds, they come from the heart. And Jesus now has begun to expose 
their hearts. He's exposed people's hearts all along, hasn't he? But now, here's the religious leaders. And their hearts are wicked. But he's going to tell them a story. He's going to tell them a story that is so engaging that it's going to pull them right in. But in the end of this story, they realize that it's about them. Isn't that amazing? Remember when Jesus was doing, giving those parables back in chapter number four, and his disciples said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he said, so that hearing, they may not hear and seeing, they might not see. In other words, he was giving parables at that time to obscure the meaning, the, the truths to unsaved people. And it was to be clear to those that had ears to hear. But this is a different kind of parable. They're going to understand every word. And I'm going to tell you why they understand every word. Let me read to you from Psalm 118. Psalm 118, Psalms 113 through 118 are the psalms that they would sing during this week of Passover. What about that? And so this is some of the things that were right in, they were fresh in their minds right up front. They should have been fresh in their minds. And I won't read you the entire psalm, but beginning in verse number 19, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Now, I can see in, this, in these words, I can see Jesus riding through the eastern gate on that donkey, can't you? He's riding through the eastern gate. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Now, this is what they were crying. This is the... Uh, uh, the interpretation of Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. So I mean, this is, to me, it's clearly messianic. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And then, if you don't mind, just turn left, go back. No, excuse me, turn right. 
I tell people to turn left sometimes when they should be turning right. Isaiah chapter number 5. Now, and, and before we read that, let me, let me just uh, read this. And we, we've talked about this one already. But in Zechariah chapter number 9, verse 9, the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. And the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow uh, shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And I want to keep reading, but this is, uh, uh, isn't it clear that what we're talking about here is the uh, the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus. He's riding in on the donkey as prophesied as their Messiah, but his introduction of a new kingdom does not come with uh, uh, horses and chariots and swords and spears and uh, armies fighting, but his kingdom is going to be initiated by his humility and not coming in to kill them but for them to kill him and he's going to defeat them and set up his kingdom by hanging on a cross okay isaiah chapter 5 verse 1 let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a, vine, a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Wild grapes here could be worthless grapes, bitter grapes, useless grapes. It built, it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness. And behold, an outcry. So, 
you remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and uh, he goes into the temple and he just looks around and goes back out and goes to the Mount of Olives. Well, this is, this is the context, this is the setting, and, uh, and so these religious leaders are very familiar with all these scriptures. But there's more to it. You see, it's just like uh, Art was teaching this morning when uh, they said to Micah, don't preach that. You shouldn't be preaching that kind of thing. You should not be preaching like that. There's not going to be any disgrace come to us. It's like when Habakkuk said, God, are you going to bring a nation that's worse than we are to judge us? That's far from you. You wouldn't do a thing like that. And uh, they said to Jeremiah, you should die. <laughs> Jeremiah, they told, they said, you should die because you preach this. You're preaching. You see, Jeremiah was bringing the message from God that they were going into a 70-year captivity. And that Nebuchadnezzar was going to come and he was going to carry them off captive. And they said, you ought to die for preaching things like that. God wouldn't do anything like that. Well, you see what's happening here in our text in Mark chapter number 12 is Jesus is bringing this indictment of every bit of this. It's all coming together right now face to face with the leaders, the religious leaders of Jerusalem. And so, verse 1 of chapter 12, And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. So what's happening here is that uh, there's a, a, the story that Jesus is telling is about a, a man who has property. He wants a vineyard, so he, uh, he, he does everything necessary. He planted a vineyard. He put a wall or a fence around it. He dug a pit for the wine press and then built a tower. And he leased it to tenants. So, uh, have you ever heard of tenant farmers? Now, in East Tennessee and uh, in Georgia and places like that, that's a that's a common thing, or it used to be a common thing. I don't know if it is anymore. And I had uh, uh, people that I ministered to in Mexico that were tenant farmers. And what they did was uh, uh, someone else owned the property. Some Usually it was a wealthier person that owned the property. And he would make an agreement with this poor man 
to go and plant and uh, raise and harvest a crop of corn or beans or whatever it might be. And they would make an agreement as to how it would be divided up. The owner would get his share and the, uh, the worker, the farmer, the tenant farmer would get his share. And, but each one, you know, had a, a right to their share. And so this is basically what's happening here. They, these are tenant farmers. The man who has given them the opportunity to come and work his vineyard and to uh, produce fruit on his vineyard, they are not owners, they are stewards. And so they are to render to him the fruit of the vineyard. And that's what he wants. I mean, that's the reason he planted the vineyard is because he wanted the fruit of the vineyard. And I read that uh, sometimes it takes uh, three or four years or maybe more for uh, that, first, uh, that first harvest. So... That's what, uh, that's what it means when it's saying that he leased it uh, to tenants and went into another country. And when the season came, three, four years, however long that was, the time came for, the, uh, for his share of the fruit of the vineyard. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed, and with so many, and so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one other, one other, one and only one. He had one other. A beloved son. Finally, he sent to them, sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. You see what he's doing? <laughs> he 
Yeah, they've read that. They've been singing it. This is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Oh, listen, this is such a clear picture. The uh, one who, the landowner, the one who was the possessor of the field, the one who planted the vineyard is obviously God the Father, right? We, how do we know that? Well, we know that because that's exactly what Isaiah chapter 5 said, right? That God the Father, that God planted this vineyard and it was his vineyard. And we also know from that same passage of scripture that the vineyard itself is the house of Israel, right? It's Israel. And so he planted the vineyard and he led it out to tenants. And I'm going to say that the tenants are the religious leaders. Jesus has preached to the common people. He's preached to and he's exposed the sin of people. He's dealt with demon possession. He's preached the gospel. He's healed the sick. He's raised people from the dead. He's had a wonderful ministry among the common people, but now he is eye to eye with the leaders, the Jewish leaders. And these were the people whose job it was to make Israel a fruitful vine. They were to help the people to become fruitful, to be a blessing, to please God. But that's not what Jesus found when he came. So the tenants are the Jewish leaders. And, uh, and so the servants that he sent to them, who would we think those would be? The prophets, right? Over and over he sent prophets to them. He sent his men to them. And every time, almost exclusively, without fail, they rejected those prophets and mistreated those prophets. As a matter of fact, when Stephen was bringing the indictment against Israel in Acts chapter number 7, he says it like this, and this got him stoned as well. Beginning in verse 51, he said, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as 
uh, delivered by angels and did not keep it. He's saying the same thing, right? These prophets have come and, and God's servants have come until and you persecuted them and you've killed them and now the son has come and you've murdered him you have hanged him on the cross and you've not kept the law now when they heard these things they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him can you see that can you hear that but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. We don't want to hear that. Don't make us hear that. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned, I'll go ahead and finish it. And, they, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is exactly the treatment that Israel had constantly over the years, over the centuries, had, uh, had brought on the prophets and the ministers that God had sent to them. He had sent them over and over again persistently. So let me just uh, give you a couple of points before time runs out. But first of all, let me say that I see in this passage of Scripture, God is just good. He's good, isn't he? You think about this. He, he planted the vineyard. He built the wall around it. He built the tower. He built the, or he dug out the wine press and he, he, he planted the vineyard himself. And so it's all by the grace of God that he's done this. He chose Israel. You remember how he chose them, right? He chose this one fella by the name of Abram, who was an idol worshiper in Ur of the Chaldees. He chose him and caused his glory to appear to him and called him and made him a promise. Abraham didn't do anything to earn it, or Abram at the time, didn't do anything to earn it. God chose him and he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. If you could count the stars, that's how many your descendants are going to be. If you could count the grains of sand by the seashore, that's how many your, your descendants will be. And guess what? He didn't have a child. And his wife was barren and couldn't have a child. And then years passed, years passed, and they still didn't have a child. But God had promised 
And when Abraham was past age and Sarah was way past age, God in his miraculous power gave him a child. And it all came from just one guy. And then he had just one child. God raised up the nation of Israel. And he nurtured them. He gave them leaders. He gave them prophets. He started off by making the uh, fathers the uh, priests of the house. But then he began to give them uh, a priesthood. And, and all these wonderful things God did. because and, and they failed time after time. But God restored them and redeemed them. And just kept, kept on serving them. I think I could use that term. He, he just nourished them and, and waited upon them when they should have been waiting upon Him, when they should have been serving Him. God was doing everything for them. And when they would start to drift away, He would send His servants, His his prophets to them. And instead of repenting. Most of the time. They just took it out on the prophets. So he's not just good. But he's persistent. <laughs> we, we embrace the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Don't we? But I am so often tempted to say it's more like the perseverance of God with the saints. He just keeps going, doesn't he? And then he just keep helping us and taking care of us. And how many of you, I'm not going, I'm, I'm going to put it all on you. How many of you make it through a day without dishonoring him in some way in thought or deed or word? And yet, he'll... Put somebody in your way to remind you. Or he'll bring a verse of scripture to your mind. Or you'll get in the car and turn on the radio. And somebody will be preaching and it'll preach to your heart. God is constantly working in us. Or he will bring a trial in your life. Or he'll bring someone into your life. He's doing these things constantly. Because he perseveres with his people. Not only is he good and persevering. But he's so gracious. He gave after they had mistreated all of his prophets. After they had shown him their hearts. After they had shown him how they hated him. And every time they took one of his prophets and killed him. They're saying to him, this is what I would do to you if I could get my hands on you. You see, it wasn't the prophets they hated it was the landowner. It wasn't the prophets that Israel hated. 
They were at enmity with God. And yet, he said, I have only one more thing that could possibly be done. This is the only thing that will work. I'm going to send my son. You say, well, man, that's, uh, I mean, you've already, you already know what they're going to do. Yeah, but you see, there's no other way to redeem his people than to send his son. And that is exactly what Jesus did. He came to the enemies. And these, he's face to face now with the people that are going to kill him. And he knows what's in their hearts. And he exposes what's in their hearts by this parable. And they get it. Isn't that amazing? I, I can't, I can't, can you fathom that they understood what he said and they knew that the son was him. It was Jesus. They knew it. And they said, we're going to kill you anyway. We're going to kill you anyway. And they didn't just kill him like the parable said. They killed him outside the camp, outside the gates of the city. They said, we don't even want to give you the dignity of dying on the streets of Jerusalem. They put him outside the city on Golgotha and they nailed him to the cross and they mocked him and spit on him and stood and watched while the Romans abused him and beat him until his back was bloody and his beard was ripped from his face and his eyes no doubt were swollen shut, his lips split and bleeding and his tongue swollen with thirst until he could barely speak and they nailed him to the cross and he said... Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. Isn't he merciful? Isn't he a gracious God? Amen. But you see, they needed to know this. And he, I think he wanted them to get this one thing. They've been singing it. But he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You know, I've, I've studied this thing about cornerstone quite a bit uh, over the years. And I still am not sure whether it's the capstone or a stone in the foundation. But I do know this much about it. It is the most important stone in the building without it there is no building he is the cornerstone and he is he is uh, 
rejected by the Jews or by the religious leaders of the day. He was cast out and rejected, but he didn't just die on the cross. They took him and buried him. And the third day he got up and he arose from the grave and he has become the chief cornerstone of a new temple, a new building, and it's not the Gentiles. Somebody said we took that uh, temple away and gave it to another people. It's the Gentile. No, it's the church. The church. That's the kingdom. That's the new kingdom that uh, Jesus is building. That's the new covenant. That's the new people. And so, I guess that's all I have this evening. I didn't, I didn't write anything down. And there's a, a number of other passages that uh, I thought about bringing. But I think you get it. And I think we all understand what this passage of Scripture is about. He uh, let me finish reading from verse number six. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. See God, this is not, uh, wasn't by accident. Jesus didn't just stumble into this circumstance, this situation. He knew what was happening. And he walked right into it because... He came for one purpose, and that purpose was to die for our sins. They were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Well, there's going to be a couple of more confrontations in the next verses with uh, people who think that they're going to catch Jesus in his talk. But uh, he outsmarts them as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd take these scattered thoughts. I, I hope that it wasn't too rambling. And I, I pray that you would take these truths and weave them together. And cause your people to understand this passage of scripture. And remind us all. That. You are a God of judgment. That even though. You have taken this. You've taken this vineyard away. And you have grafted the Gentiles in where the Jews were 
cut out of the olive uh, olive tree. You've grafted us in. Help us to remember that we must be faithful as well. That you still require fruit from your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.